Well, it is very good to see you today. I, uh, I will admit that there have been a few people over the last several days who said, uh, Jeff, have you seen the traffic on the highways? There may not be anybody there Sunday. And uh, I said, well, it may be, but here we are. Here we are. And, and I'm glad. And, and I, I was standing back there thinking it's probably because they are, they are applying the truths that we've been learning in this series. I'm sure that's it. I'm sure they said, you know, we could go somewhere, but we'd rather just stay home and rest like God tells us we should. I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, or you're saying, stay home and rest, nothing. I got to go to work tomorrow, right? And so I, whatever the reason, I, if you got to go to work tomorrow, I am sorry. I know it feels like you are probably the only one in the country who's got to work tomorrow. You're not. You're not alone. Um, I'm, I'm praying for both of you. But uh, it, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It is a good weekend, and I hope you get to celebrate. I hope you get to be with family and, and friends and enjoy uh, the day tomorrow. Kids get a couple of days out of school. Um, I hope it is a time that you can catch your breath. Hey, a quick word before we dig into uh, the talk today. There are some books that are available out at the uh, Eye Center area out there. Um, it's a little book called Radical. Now, I told you a couple of weeks ago, we're moving toward a season in our life teams where together we're going to do a Bible study called Radical. Um, those Bible study books will be available another couple of weeks down the road. Uh, we'll make those available, and you'll be able to get those uh, ahead of time. Uh, it'll be coming soon. So about the first week of October, we will start that study together. Now, life teams are really, some are kicking back in this month, kind of everybody's back in school and in the mix, and so we're encouraging life teams to roll again. Going to be some really good stuff this month, laying some foundation for what we want God to, to do within our, within our teams. But starting October, we're going to do the study on Radical. So, this is a book, really, from which the, the Bible study, I would say, kind of developed out of. Um, we would love just to make this available to you ahead of time. Before we get into the Bible study, here's something you can kind of read up front to, to start to set your heart that direction. And so, these are at the, at the Eye Center. You can stop by today and pick one up. Five bucks, all right? They're five bucks, which they cost more than five bucks, all right? But I'm saying we're trying to make them available where for $5 you can get it. We're making up the, the rest of the, the difference. Um, and if you, you may not have the 5 bucks, to, and, and all you need to say is, hey, I don't, I don't have that, uh, I can't do that right now, and they're going to hand you a book. All right? But if you can, 5 bucks helps us in the cost of all that. When the Bible study books comes out, come out, um, there'll be a, a whopping 10 bucks. All right? 10 bucks. They cost more than 10 bucks. Uh, we're, we will make up the difference in that. We're just trying to, to help us to be able to, to continue to provide more and more. So I'm saying for a gigantic, if you do both of them, for a gigantic $15, which don't make me go where some of us spent $15 this week, but for a gigantic $15, you will have some Bible study material in your hand that literally is going to take us all the way to the end of 2018. That's a good investment. That's a good investment. All right? So we're trying to make that as manageable as possible for you. I encourage you, stop by today, grab one of these. Um, it, it, it's a book where some of you may pick it up and you'll start to read and you won't be able to put it down. 
Just a warning, some of you will pick it up and start to read, and you're going to put it down for a while and say, i got to rest, and I'll get back to this a little bit. So just to give you a little time to, to start to maybe process uh, some of that, I encourage you to take a look at it. Take a look at it. We are in week four of a series called Think Small. And it is not a series to lead you to live small. It's a series to challenge you to go after extraordinary outcomes. But it's to help us realize that to seize and to experience those extraordinary outcomes, they are accomplished through consistent daily action. They are accomplished through, in a way, thinking small. The truth is, I want all of you to experience a life of what I'm going to call impact. I want you to experience a life of impact. And better news than the fact that I want you to experience a life of impact is that God has called you to experience a life of impact. So much of the language of Scripture describes the, the, the salt effect, the light effect. It, it is this picture of when you follow Jesus, there, there is a life of, of loving well and serving well and leading well. You, you are making an impact in the lives of people. But the point that I want us to understand today, and it's really, in, in a way, uh, a way to frame this whole, whole series, impact too often is overtaken by impatience. Impact too often is overtaken because of our impatience. We love immediacy. We hate patience. It's hard to be patient with people. It's hard to be patient with processes. And when it's not seeing an impact out of one big push, when it's, when it's not seeing an impact because it's not an overnight success, then a lot of the times what we do is we just move on to something else. And so instead of the impact that, that, that we are really built to live, suddenly impatience takes over. About a thousand years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem, there is a little boy whose story we are given. He was dedicated to God even before his birth. And we're told that he literally grows up in what was called in that day the tabernacle. It was this tent structure, but, but it really was what we would call the church. It was the place where people came to worship. It was where God's presence was recognized to be. It, it was the tabernacle. It was where the priest would serve. And we're told that this little boy was raised by a priest called Eli. The little boy's name was Samuel. Samuel. And you can read his story in the book of the Bible that bears his name. There's first and there's second Samuel. You can, you can read his story there. But it, it starts with the Bible just painting this really cute picture, honestly, of this little boy running around in the tabernacle with a little priest robe on. It does. 
He's, he's wearing his little robe, a little, little boy, and we know that his mom would make him a new one each year as Samuel's growing up, right? We don't want the robe being look, look like he doesn't fit, and so she, she makes him a new little robe each year. And you got this little boy running around the tabernacle with this little priest outfit on. Now, to grow up literally in the church, that sounds like a safe place to grow up, but... Not completely for Samuel. You see, Samuel grew up in in the tabernacle where Eli and his sons also resided. And Eli's sons were older and not a good influence. I'll just give you one example. We're told that Eli's sons, now they are supposed to be serving with Eli, the priest. This, 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 they would sleep with the women who served at the entrance of the tabernacle. And I'm saying Samuel grows up seeing such we're told early on that there's one night where Samuel is trying to sleep and he hears someone call him. He thinks it's Eli. And so he gets up and he goes to Eli and, and he's like, what do you, what do you want? And, and Eli says, I, I, I didn't call you. And Samuel's like, well, I, th- I, thought, I, heard, I thought I heard you call me. He's like, no, I, I didn't call you. And Samuel goes back and he lays down and he tries to go to sleep again and it happens again. He goes back to Eli and he's like, it, it wasn't me. Go to sleep. Right? Can't you, you can almost hear the parent voice go to sleep, right? And, and, and then it happens a third time, but by now Eli's kind of picking up on something. And so by the time Samuel comes back to him and says, I, I know that you're calling me. What do you want? He's like, it's, it, Eli says, No, I'm, I'm not calling you. But the next time you hear the voice, simply say, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Ooh. And so sure enough, as Samuel goes back again and He hears the voice, he says what Eli told him to say, and it's this wow, wow moment. Eli, or Samuel rather, is not just a little boy priest. Samuel is a little boy prophet. Samuel's not just a little boy priest serving in the tabernacle, he's a little boy prophet Check this out. God is talking to a kid. Now, this is not a day where where God's talking to everybody in that sense. We're not talking about a day where God's spirit lives within everyone. We're on the the front side of, of, of a cross and a resurrection where Jesus made all that possible for us. So when God's speaking to somebody, that becomes God's prophet. God's word comes to them, and then they would speak what they hear from God. We got a little boy prophet. And we wonder, whoo, what's going to happen here? But it's kind of interesting because when you read 1 Samuel, he kind of disappears from the storyline. He's just kind of quiet for a little bit. Actually, for quite a while because when he reappears, he is an adult and he leads this massive national revival. It is this massive, the nation of Israel, their people turning their hearts back to God, and and Samuel is involved in all that. And then we we suddenly, we quickly arrive at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1, and it simply says, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. And we go, wait, 
we just got started. Well, what do you mean when he grew old? We're only at chapter 8. I mean, we just we got the wow story of, of, of him as a, as a little boy and God speaks to him. And then we got the wow story of him leading, you know, a time where the nation's hearts are turned back to God. And, and now he's retiring? He's appointing his sons to lead? What, what happened to his life? Well, if you back up just a couple of verses, it gives us the answer. And honestly, they are verses that hardly anybody ever studies. We, we study the big stories. We, we study the, the wow moment of when God talks to him. We study the wow moment of when we see a, a nation turn their heart back to God. But we hardly ever study the verses that I'm about to read to you. We back up to 1 Samuel chapter 7, and in verse 15, it says, Samuel continued at Is as Israel's leader all the days of his life. Right now, this is before he appointed his sons. That was chapter 8. This is chapter 7. He, he continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. Verse 16. From year to year, he went on a circuit. Everybody say, on a circuit. Samuel's on a circuit. On a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal, to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. Verse 17. But he always, you notice the language, year after year, day after day, always. There's this, there's this here's, here's what he's always, he always went back to Ramah where his home was, and there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. What was Samuel doing when he's 34? It's like we got him when he's a kid, and, and then we see, right, he's, he's old, and, and he, he entrusts the leadership. What's he doing when he's like 34 years old? He's on a circuit. He's on a circuit. Let me show you a picture of that circuit, literally. It says he goes from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah. Every year he's on this circuit. And then every year he, he goes back to Ramah, which is his home, where he also, right, listens to the issues of the people. He, Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah. Next year, Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah. Next year, Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah. And then in, in between all that, he, he always ends up at home. And what they're doing is he goes to Bethel as they will bring him the court cases. They will bring him the issues that exist among the people. They've got these arguments, these disagreements, and Samuel would hear those things, and then he would speak into that situation so that there could be peace again between those parties, so that this doesn't develop into some big clan war, and you got God's people fighting God's people, that this is the role that he would serve year after year. And then he would go to Gilgal, and he would listen to the court cases, and, and then he would go to Mizpah, and he would listen to the court cases, and then he would go home to Ramah, and he would listen to the court cases. Along with that, Samuel would provide spiritual leadership in those places. He goes to Bethel and he says, Hey, I've noticed that about two hills over here, somebody built an altar to Baal. 
Anybody know who built the altar to Baal? And everybody's like, no. He's like, well, if, if you know who built the altar to Baal, I, I'd really like to know. And in the meantime, none of y'all are headed to the altar of Baal, right? Nobody's, nobody's traveling over to the altar of Baal and offering sacrifices to false gods, right? And they're like, mm-mm. That was Samuel's role. And year after year, Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and then to Ramah is home. Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and then to Ramah is home. It is, it is this circuit. When he's 34, when he's 44, when he's 54, when he's 64. He's showing up again and again in the same way to many of the same people. I just want you to see over and over in Scripture, there is this consistent picture that the greatest impact, the greatest influence, sometimes, most days, it's not flashy. Sometimes, most days, it's not sexy. It is not. It is some days probably incredibly boring where Samuel's like, I have heard this story 400 times. This person saying this about this person, I have heard this 400 times. And he's still speaking. And you got to know that there were some seasons of Samuel's, he's like, I am exhausted. I am exhausted. I have heard more situations. I have listened and leaned into more issues than I know how to count. And there are still people unhappy because we, we're not doing everything that we need to do. You have to know that sometimes it was incredibly draining. But I'm saying year after year and day after day, Samuel walks this circuit, same towns, same processes, same people, and the Bible says that when Samuel dies, the whole nation mourned. When he died, the whole nation goes into mourning. Why? Because Samuel made an impact. He made an impact. He made a difference. He, he influenced lives. But how did that look on most days? Most days was not this wow story. It, it was a day after day of simply leaning into God's direction as he heard court case after court case, as he, as he pointed out spiritual direction after spiritual direction. He just, day after day, year after year, long-term consistency for life impact. I want you to have that. And I believe God wants you to have that. And so I got a couple of questions for you today. Here's the first one. What's your circuit? What's your circuit? Where are you in this process of a life that requires bringing all of you day after day, year after year, over and over, sometimes it's to the same people, sometimes it's the same process, but impacting lives. Sometimes it might be answered like this. Somebody's saying, I say, what's your circuit? And, and she says, well, ever since my grandpa died, a, a part of my circuit is I care for my grandma. I, I, I go see her at least once a week, and then at least another couple of times a week, we, we talk on the phone. Sometimes I get to see her more than once, but we, we talk on the phone another couple of times. 
And I say, well, how long have you been doing that? She says, well, my, I guess my grandpa died probably almost 10 years ago. Like, so for 10 years, for 10 years, you've, been, you've, you've made it a part of your life to, to make sure that you check in on, you go see your grandma once every week, and then you, you talk to her another couple of times every week. That, it must be incredibly rewarding. And she says, well, I mean, it is from the standpoint that, that I love her, but, you know, honestly, the more time that passes, a lot of times we have the same conversation over and over. We have the exact same conversation almost every time we get on the phone. Can I remind you that faithfulness doesn't have to be flashy to be really, really good? Can I remind you that faithfulness doesn't have to be flashy to be really, really good. And for some of you, that may be sort of what your circuit looks like. It's like you, you got like several things, but it's like this, this is one of those things on my circuit. And just year after year, week after week, day after day, that this is what I, I feel, this is where God has put me and, and I'm, I'm trying to, to walk that out in a way that's faithful. I, when I think about the circuit, I, I think about um, the folks within Heart of Life who are willing to lead Life teams, I really do. We're, we're I, and maybe right now it's because my head is is just so zeroed in on that, and we're talking about seeing as many people as possible involved in those life teams. And, and we've got some who have been life team small group leaders for a long time. And there is so much beauty in the longevity of what they have done. Some of them, they 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 show up every Sunday night to to middle schoolers. Uh, some of them show up every Wednesday night to high schoolers. Uh, some of them show up at other nights of the week for, for adults. Um, there are some who are showing up this morning right now for our kids who are doing their, a part of their Sunday mornings now, or, or they get to be a part of, of life teams too. And you probably would think, well, they must do that. I mean, those who have done this for years and years and years, they, they must do that. Because they probably get to see just these weekly, like, wow moments. They see these weekly breakthroughs in people's lives. People just opening up their hearts and seeing healing happen, right, every week. It's probably because there's so much wow involved in that. That's why they just keep doing it over and over. You should talk to them. Because it's more like chipping away. It's more like chipping away a little at a time, just being faithful, continuing to show up, continuing to encourage, continuing to listen into the lives of those who are gathered with them until from time to time there are breakthroughs. But they don't happen every week. Sometimes they don't happen every month. Some of you have been in life teams that after a year, you're like, I don't know if we're ever going to chip our way out of this thing. Because you just chip away a little at a time, little at a time, little at a time, because it takes time in order for that trust to be built. And often, often we hit, I believe, 
the peak impact about the time that we grow bored. And it's like, maybe I've been doing this long enough. Maybe I've been doing this long enough, and I'm just not seeing a great difference. And, and I'm just saying, don't be surprised if the process in your circuit gets a little old. Because sometimes it requires chipping away. It requires this long-term process of over and over. And sometimes you get bored in that. Sometimes it gets a little old in that. But what I have observed is we tend to get bored and it seems to get a little old right about the time we're getting good at it. Right about the time we're getting good at it. And suddenly impact gets overwhelmed by impatience. It's true in families. It's true in friendships. It's true in small groups. It takes time for people to build trust. What is your circuit? Where are you loving well? Where are you serving well? Where are you leading well? And by well, I mean consistent. Over and over again. Now, question number one, what's your circuit, gets us to the second question. And this is the second question. So how are you healing? How are you healing? And you're like, that sounds like two very, right, kind of random questions, man. That, that's like two questions that seem like, not, not related at all, and I'm saying, no, they're, they're incredibly connected. And here's why. If you are on a God-directed circuit, I'm, what I mean by that is if, if you are paying attention to what God has put in this season of your life, sometimes it's, it's to lead a life team, sometimes it's, it's loving your grandma in a way that you get more time and effort than you've ever put into that before, right? It's like whatever your circuit looks like as you sense God directing those things in your life, you will most likely face a regular reality. Wounds. I'm going to say it again. Wounds. When you walk the circuit, when you love well, serve well, lead well in the lives of people, there will be Wounds. And instead of asking the question, hey, how can I make it through my life? How can I, how can I navigate the, the circuit of my life right now where I, I just have to kind of deal with this person and this person, but how can I navigate all this and, and, and stay as safe as I possibly can? How, how can I navigate all this and not be hurt? I just want to settle the answer for you. You can't. You cannot engage. You cannot impact and not experience hurt from time to time. Because if you love well, serve well, lead well, it is only a matter of time that somebody going to say something dumb. They're going to say something dumb. They might say something dumb to you. They might say something dumb about you. It's only a matter of time that whatever that 
it's a meeting that goes south. It's a, it's a whispering behind your back. You love well, serve well, lead well. It's going to happen. The greatest question is not how can I escape all the hurt. The greatest question for me to keep asking is how am I healing? <laughs> how am I healing? Because the relationships that bring the greatest opportunity for joy are also the relationships that bring the greatest opportunity for pain. Some of you know it in your families. Your family can be the greatest opportunity of relationship for joy, but they can also be the greatest opportunity for relationship of pain. And the same is true in friendships, and the same can be true in church. The greatest opportunities for joy can become the greatest opportunities for pain. The question is not, how can I ever keep from getting hurt? The question is, how am I healing? What's my circuit and how am I healing? How am I constantly healing as I engage those things? I want you to, let me give you an image. Um, I want you to think circle, right? The big, the white, white space in the middle. That circle represents uh, what I'm going to call just the, the inner you. It, it's, it's, the, it, it's the interior you. This is where um, your hopes live. This is where your dreams live. But this is also where your greatest disappointments live. This, this is where your crimes live. This is where the, this is the inner you. And you will notice there, there are people all around you. People everywhere. Some, some of these people are people from work. Um, you, you know them because you have to see them on a regular basis. I mean, you, so you certainly know their names. And the longer you work with them, you kind of get to know some characteristics about it, but you really don't know them that well, to be honest. You, you work with them. It's, it's work relationships, and you really don't know them that well. Uh, some of them are maybe from school. All right, so if, if you're in school now, you see them every day, you're in class with them. Some of the people in your life, you used to go to school with them. Right? But now they're just the people that you send the Christmas card to once a year. Right? That, that's kind of the contact. You send the Christmas card to say hi. But, but they are a part of the circle. Some, some of these are your, are your, your Facebook uh, friends, your Facebook connections. And so you see what goes on in their life. But, but there's really not the deepest of connection there. It's just it, you kind of acquaint. Some of these are people uh, that, that from your church that when you go out to eat, and you see them across the restaurant, and you're, you recognize their faces, and you're like, I'm supposed to know them, but I've never actually gotten up and walked across the room and introduced myself, so I, I, but I know them, and they're, they're all these people in our life, all these people that surround us. And, and you understand, God has called us to this mission where we are called to love in these directions. We love out of that circle. Any given particular day, any, any given week, any given 
season of our life where suddenly there is a great opportunity to love in a particular way. Somebody at work who goes through a hurt, and then you're able to spend more attention there than you would otherwise. Somebody, somebody that you're connected to, even, even Facebook-wise, and something happens, and you, you have a greater opportunity to, to love in that moment. But, but we are called to love. But the fact is, all these people do not have the right to be in here. They don't. All these people do not have the right to be in your greatest hopes, your greatest dreams, to know your greatest disappointments, to know your crimes. They don't. But what I want us to grasp today is that in order for you to love this direction like God has called you to truly love, in order to respond to those different moments, situations that arise when you see people hurt, you see opportunities to love, in order to do that in the most powerful way that God has designed you to do it, you've got to decide that you're going to pick two, three, and you're going to let them in. You're going to let them in. You're going to let them know your dreams, your hopes. They know your disappointments. They know your greatest crimes. But you choose to let them in. Maybe your response is, Jeff, I've done that once. I did that once, and I ain't doing that again. I'm just not going to do it again. Well, I want you to know that you are not alone in that struggle. That's not crazy. It's not crazy what you feel out of that. You're not alone in that struggle. In fact, the Bible even paints the picture of that struggle. Let me, let me show you something. Psalm chapter 55. Psalm chapter 55, verse 6 says, I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. You know my caption for that verse? Want to get away? That's that verse, want to get away. The psalmist says, if I had wings... If I could be like a dove or Southwest Airlines would be fine. I just want to go. I just want to go. I just want to fly away. I just want to get out of here. Come on, maybe maybe some of you had that kind of week this week where you're just like, I'm just ready to get out. If I have wings, I I just want to fly. Usually it's in response to something pretty bad that happens. It can be something that's just heartbreaking, something awful. And well, who in the world's talking like this? David, as in King David, if I had the wings of a dove, I would just get out of here. Well, what would make a man like that? This, this is the same, same dude that drops a giant, right, with a sling and stone, right? Same, same tough guy, warrior. If I had wings, I would just get out of here. What would make him say something like that? David, what would be so bad? Look at verse 12. He gives us the answer. 
If an enemy were insulting me, I can endure that because I'm a warrior. I can deal with that. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. I mean, there even be sometimes when there's just a time to, to run. There's a, there's a time to hide. But it's you. A man like myself, my companion, my close, what? Friend, he's not done. 14. With whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Whoa, now I get it. David's like, if this were an enemy, I can deal with that. If this were my foe, I could run if I had to. But the reason I want to run is because I used to sit by this guy in Bible study. I used to sing beside him in worship. I confided in him. I was vulnerable, and he knifed me with it. So you know what? I quit. I quit. I, I shared my inner world with her, and then she proceeded to share my inner world with the rest of the world. So you know what? I quit. I love my kid, but, but she is unresponsive. She is self-centered. I don't care if she's two and a half. I quit. Just letting you breathe. I served in the church. Like, I, 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 gave, I gave my time and I gave my reason. I served in the church. And then there was this mess. You know what? I quit. And so now I just show up and I sit back. I show up and I sit back and I kind of take in what happens. And every once in a while I kind of, you know, dip, dip a toe in the water to where, I, you know, people kind of go, oh, it's so good to have you here and it's so good that you're, you're so connected. But I, I really just show up and I, and I just sit back. I want you to imagine, imagine this week you, you, uh, you walk into a store uh, because you need something very, very valuable. I don't know. You, you need right, a new shirt. You need something. So you go to the store. You go to a retail store uh, to buy something. And as you walk into the store, it, it, you notice, like most stores, there is music that plays over the speakers, right? Um, and, and, and so I, suddenly this one catches your attention because it, it, it's... It, it's kind of got some, some classic to it, and it, it's a little classic. And by classic, I don't mean 2008. By, by classic, I'm, I mean like 50-year-old classic. And so you lean in, and you hear this. I built walls and fortress deep and mighty That none may penetrate I have no need of friendship 
friendship causes pain It's laughter and it's loving I disdain I am a rock I am an island Right there at the end, some of you went, oh, yeah. Who sings that? Who was that? Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, Simon and Garfunkel, right? And whether it's the first time you, you might have heard the song, because I, I realize it's, it's, it's older, usually people recognize at least the last couple of lines of it. No need of friendship, because friendship causes pain. I'm a rock. I'm, I'm an island. It, it, it goes on to say, because rocks feel no pain and islands never, never cry. You're like, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's just better that way. And then, a few days later, you walk into another store because you didn't find what you needed in the one before. And, and so you walk into another store, and sure enough, the music is playing again, and it must be Simon and Garfunkel week. I don't know, because when you walk into this store, you lean in, and this is what you hear. walk out of the store and you think, gentlemen, will you make up your mind? Pick a metaphor. Is it an island or is it a bridge? Which one are we going to go with here? And I'm saying, come on, isn't that kind of how it is? That there are moments that you just want to run for the hills, and then there are moments that you know this is what you were made for. And, and I'm saying today, I, I want you to, to, to realize when you choose to be the bridge, bridges get walked on, people walk over them. When you choose to be the bridge, the, the question is not, how can I forever? protect against this risk again. The question is, can I, I want to stay close to Jesus, and Jesus, how am I healing? How am I healing? How are you constantly restoring my heart, knowing that people are going to disappoint, knowing that people are going to say something at times, but oh my goodness, can I keep healing even without a guarantee that it won't happen again, that I will continue to be the bridge. And you say, Jeff, all that is great. And, and look, I, I, seriously, this is what Jesus calls us to? Come on, Jesus, you got to understand what this is like. 
You mean like in a garden? In a garden late at night with 11 of the 12 who followed you for the last three and a half years? Because the other one's going to show up in just a minute. And he's going to identify you as the one to be arrested. You mean like that? You mean like the fact that two, even of the, the inner circle, that, that there were 12, but then there was three that Jesus, from time to time, we see them even being a little more inside that, 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 that circle. And, and, and two of them, Peter and John, they, they make it to the trial for Jesus. But when the questions start to get asked, do you know him? Are you with him? Then we know when it comes to, to Peter, three, three times he denies Jesus. You mean like that? Jesus, you don't know what this is like. You mean like that? Or maybe it was this week. Maybe it was this week where we had numerous opportunities to say, hey, let me tell you who this Jesus is. I'm with him. And we just stayed silent. You mean like that? He knows. He knows you love well, you serve well, you lead well. Wounds come with it. The question is not how can I escape them all. The question is how am I healing so that I can continue to love. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Shutting down requires killing a part of your heart that is supposed to be alive to God. When you shut down, you are choosing to kill a part of your heart that is supposed to be alive to God, where to love him is to love people, and you cannot do that when you fly away. You can't do it. Aaron Ralston. This is him. His story is that in 2003, in a hiking-slash-climbing incident in the mountains of Utah, an 800-pound boulder moved as he was climbing on it, and it pinned his arm to the canyon wall. There was a movie in 2007. Actually, it was called 127 Hours. It represents the five days that Aaron Ralston was pinned to the canyon wall. He, he wrote a book um, called Between a Rock and a Hard Place. <laughs> that works. That works. But here we go. You ready? You ready, gentlemen? With a dull, you ready, gentlemen? With a dull pocket knife, he amputated his own arm and climbed out of that canyon. And all the guys were like, ooh, okay, that, that's manly, right? That's that, a dull pocket knife, and he amputated his own arm. Yeah. Let me tell you what else can be manly. You ready? You know why Aaron Ralston lost his arm? Because he was hiking, and nobody knew where he was. 
And so for five days, nobody came looking for him because he didn't tell anybody where he was. And I'm saying that is such a picture for me of how a lot of people do life. It's how a lot of people go hiking. It's, it's how a lot of people try to make it through this life. Nobody knows where you are. And when the boulders shift, nobody knows. Nobody knows. I, I'm encouraging you today to build Build the friendships in your life. Build the relationships in your life before you need them. Build the relationships in your life before you need them. If you don't have that small group of people, I'm saying three people, four people, if you are fortunate and blessed, you will have five. A small group of people that you let into that inner circle, if you don't have them, create a hit list. Start to identify, start with one at a time, maybe this guy, I, I don't know, but maybe this guy I could trust, maybe, maybe her, maybe she's the one that I could trust. And you start to, to build those relationships and as you walk it out, you, you will very soon know whether you ought to keep going with this, whether or not this is, this is somebody that might possibly could be the kind of person that knows where you're always hiking, knows where you're always climbing. Because come on, the boulders are going to shift at times in your life. And if nobody knows where you are, you find yourself alone. Life can be so lonely, but we have a tendency to make it lonelier than it needs to be. Because we do not go after those relationships. Why would I do this, Jeff? Why would I risk? Well, it's because you matter. You do. You matter. God loves you. He says that you're valuable. And a part of that is saying, you can't do this alone. I'm giving you people. Build the relationships. Let me give you one more story before we sing. It's the story of a young man. Rents, rents an apartment. He's got a job, but he doesn't make a whole lot of money. He's a He's a dishwasher. It's okay to say he, he barely makes ends meet. But he, he's young. He, he's, he's, he's a young guy, and he's trying to take responsibility. Like I say, he rents an apartment. He's got a job. But he comes to this point where he, he knows that he really wants to pursue more, and he really wants to go to college, but his circumstances are there's just not really too many options that he sees. And so he makes the decision, I, I, I want to go to college, and so to go to college, I'm going to have to have some resources. And so you know what? I'm, I'm giving up my, my apartment, and I'm just going to live under the bridge. I'm going to live under the bridge so that I can go to college. Now, even if you look at that and think that that is a stupid decision, I'm saying you gotta, you got to have something in you that goes, that's pretty cool if, if a young man is that committed that he, he would be willing to sacrifice to be able to go after something like that. He's, he's a kind kid. He does well at school. If you, if you just run into him, right, in, in, a, in a coffee shop, he, he's polite. If you sit in the classroom next to him at school, he, he does well at school. He, he studies but there, there is a part of what comes with just choosing to live on the street that there are moments that the decisions that he, he makes um, leaves him regretting. 
His name is Ray. He has a real name. It's Ray. And he lived under a real bridge. It's at 71 in Truman. You could check it out sometime. 71 in Truman. Some of you have prepared food for Ray to eat. Because from time to time, he would, he would get food from the uplift trucks that would pass. And so some of you, your life teams, you, you've cooked food that, that Ray ate. Some of you have actually been on the truck, maybe, maybe even seen him, and at times you, you were able to distribute something that, that Ray needed. Um, you've noticed that I'm starting to speak in past tense because it's a part of what happens on the street. There are risks involved. Somebody thought that Ray said something, took a baseball bat, and beat him to death and dumped his body behind a Walmart. When I spoke with Kathy Dean, many of you at least have heard of Kathy. She, she is the lady within Heart of Life. She usually attends the Lee Summit Campus. She's spoken here before. She's, she's one of the key people that that sees the ministry of uplift, the, the feeding of, of so many homeless people. She's, she's the one who, who is so key in that. She's, she said to me, we give them food, we give them clothes, we give them love. She said, but we lose so many of them. She said, Jeff, we have to give them Jesus. And she said, I wish I didn't carry the weight of all that. She said, three of them have died this month. Three. She said, you remember that window of grace thing? Remember that window of grace thing? It's actually still back there at this campus, but at each campus we had a window of grace where it gave a place for people to put a prayer on the left side, and then our, our desire is to pray those things, pray those things, and, and eventually be able to move it over to the right side to see those, those prayers answered. She said, she said, that's what I have put on the window of grace. Yeah, we got to feed them, and we want... We want to give them clothes, and, and we want to love them, but we got we to gotta give them Jesus. Any, anybody really question here whether or not, like, God is the holdup with all that? You know what I'm saying? I mean, is it, is it God who's the holdup? Like, does God not love people under a bridge? We go, well, sure he does. Do we believe that God has called us to share the good news of who Jesus is? And we go, sure we do. Then I'm saying, I'm asking us to realize that at least in part, sitting in this room is a part of the answer to the prayer. Sitting in this room is a part of the answer to the prayer. Remember the circle? Remember the circle and all the people that are around? Well, I'm asking us to be reminded today that all those connections that you have, they are for a season. They are for a season. They're, some of you are a part of teams. You're a part of a team for a season. Some of you work with people. You work with them for only a season. 
So some of you go to school, you're in a class with people, but it is only a season. Those seasons will soon pass. The same is true of families. The same is true in ministries when we encounter people like Ray. Why would we risk? It's because we have an urgency for this mission that I only have so long, and my love for Jesus moves me to leverage all that I have. And if I'm really going to love as powerfully as God has built me to love out then I have got to let a few people in because that's how God has designed for me to be strong. That's how God has designed for me to continually heal. So many people, I think, take a look at the Great Commission and we want to put it in reverse. And we just want to go, God, just just let us focus on where we are. Let, Let us focus where we are, right? And he's going, no, I want you to focus on where you are. But what I said was Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. I did not call you to do everything absolutely perfect here before you take the next step to to Judea. I didn't call you to make everything perfect there in order to take the next step to Samaria. I said, I want you to go. I want you to go with this good news and where this realm of people, this circle of people in which you have been given influence, go. Go. Why would we do this? Because the gospel is true, isn't it? The gospel, it is true. Why would we do this? It's because our God is holy. Why would we do this? It's because all people are sinful. Why would we do this? It's because our sin separates us from God. Why would we do this? It's because hell is real. Hell is real. And people without him, that, that's, that's where they are. Why would we do this? It's because Jesus is the died and risen Savior. Why would we do this? It's because salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Why would we do this? It's because Jesus said, go. So what's your circuit? And how are you healing? And in that process, don't let your impact be drowned out by impatience. God, I'm asking that you would do in our hearts the work of grace that never, God, allows us to just settle. That as long as you give us breath, God, as long as you give us life, and in doing so, you have turned on the light of our heart enabled us to see how we are loved, enabled us to see what you have done for us in Jesus. And you, by your grace, you have enabled us to know you, to love you. God, will you, will you do that work of grace in our hearts that so overwhelms the pain? A grace that that is so big that even when there are hurts, God, even when we want to become the bridge and people walk over us, God, there is something in us that simply says we will not quit. God, will will you heal our heart that we can continue to love again? Will you? Will you? It's in the name of Jesus that I ask. Amen.